Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This is the first episode that I'll be recording from our home for the next month, just on the outskirts of central Barcelona. We've been here about three days now and the second that we got here, it just felt perfect. We've got frontline view of the ocean, 15 kilometers to our right, we've got Barcelona and the sunset's just behind Barcelona. You know, you wake up, especially when we woke up on a Sunday morning from 7 a.m. You've got Harley Davidson riders, sports bike riders whizzing past. Just such a beautiful part of Europe. You know, you've got the, the brilliant city of Barcelona with all of the winding roads into the hills. It is a fantastic place for biking and I cannot wait to do some exploring. In, just to give you an update, in a couple of days' time, I'm heading off on the bike three and a half hours from here in Barcelona over to Valencia for the Valencia GP. First ever time I'll have been to a GP or a MotoGP and I cannot wait. Right, let's get down to it because I've got some fun things in this week's podcast and I'm going to start with a German biker. Have a listen to this. This is from Maurus. I like this. This is close to my heart. So I begin the email. Hello, Freddie. When I started doing my motorcycle license in summer last year, I began looking out for a nice modern classic bike that I would buy once my lessons were over. I'm aiming at getting a bike for next summer, just in time when my girlfriend will join me in Munich in the south of Germany. We're planning to enjoy the landscapes of the Alps, uh, full of mountains and wonderful lakes, and if all goes right, we will, do, we will do so riding a modern classic bike. I hope you can help me with a question that is coming up in this topic. I am 190 centimeters tall. That's pretty tall, that's about six foot three. Uh, thin body, but long legs. In driving school, I was riding a BMW adventure bike with an extra low seat. As you can imagine, this was not very comfortable. So now I'm looking for a modern classic bike with a proper seat height. I intend to use the bike mostly for getting around in Munich, but I should also have enough power to drive over the Autobahn until I get onto those serpentines and highways in the Alps. Also the space should be enough for my girlfriend who's 165 tall um, and still find her place on the back. Most of the motorcycles uh, or the motorcyclists I know tell me that the only bike that I can ride with comfort would be a touring machine. But I really like or I really want it to be a modern classic. I know that you own a Bonneville and I was wondering if this might be a good choice for me too. I'm planning on doing some test drives with different bikes. So... Okay, everyone, have a listen to this. So, besides the Bonneville, I want to check out, and here's the shopping list. Motoguzzi V9 Bobber, Royal Enfield Interceptor, BMW R9T, Triumph Speed Twin, Kawasaki Z650 RS, Kawasaki Z900 RS. I'll just finish off from Maurus here. I know most of the time it's just about the rider himself finding the perfect bike, but I still want to know if maybe you could get uh, me a clue about which one is worth it to test ride and which one isn't. Maris, thank you for that. Right, this is a brilliant predicament to be in, and 
I think for someone who's just just passed their test, just getting into biking, you've you've got yourself a superb shortlist of bikes. You know, this is a shortlist of bikes that would have taken me probably, honestly, six years into biking to be able to pick out such a list of bikes. You've got a great taste there. All of the bikes are brilliant. However, if we break it down, you are a tall guy. You, you clearly don't like a bike with a low seat height after using the BMW. You want a bike that's powerful enough for the very quick German autobahns, also fun on twisty roads, but you also want to take your partner on the back as well. And that sounds like maybe we need something that could be at least decent for a bit of soft touring. I actually, funnily enough, I had a chat with Monica about this because, you know, going out with your partner, a little bit of two-up riding, this is something that, that she always, of course, gets involved in as well. The, the, there are two bikes um, that we kind of got down to a shortlist, Monica and I, but I want to run through the bikes that you've got first. Now, the first one is the Moto Guzzi V9 Bobber. Funnily enough, about a week and a half ago, I was looking at these because... They are, they're a very nice looking bike. However, I think, I think with the seat height and the physical size of the bike, you're going to find it slightly too small. If I go and have a look at these, you know, these were never a big seller, these, the V9 Bobber. And let's click there, V9, there are only 18 available. So my guess is they're probably fairly decent value. In the UK, you can get one just about for under 6K for a five-year-old one, which is, fairly decent value. You're going to find that probably, possibly a little bit too small. However, I do know that they can come in a backrest. So you can get a backrest and the single best thing that you can ever do for pillion comfort, for pa passenger comfort, above all else is have a backrest. There is no single way that you can improve the comfort and overall confidence of a pillion than having a backrest. And you can get a backrest for the V9. However, my initial thoughts on that, you may find it too small for you as you, you found the BMW you were learning on a little bit small. Royal Enfield Interceptor, I've ridden these a lot. I'll tell you now, you will probably find that too small, especially for two up. The seat of the Interceptor, is actually quite short. So the person on the back, the pillion, struggles slightly um, for space on these. So I would rule out the Royal en en Enfield Interceptor. Forget about that. BMW R9T, lovely bike, savage power, gloriously smooth, but for a pillion, and Monica has, I think Monica's briefly been on the back of one of these, for pillion comfort, it's not great. That rear seat is very small and it's got a more, it's a more sporty focused element of the modern classic bikes. It's a stunningly good bike, but I think you're not going to find that as comfy for longer rides. So I would be looking at something else apart from that. Triumph Speed Twin. I know this bike. I've never ridden it, but I've sat on it and I have a, a friend. In fact, I've got two friends who own them. So I know the proportions of these bikes. Too small for you. It's very compact. It will not be comfy enough on longer distances for a pillion. I'd forget about that. Kawasaki Z650 RS. Too small and especially going two up on the Autobahn. I think you're gonna want a little bit more grunt. If you've got the luxury of choice, this will be too small, not quite enough grunt, not quite enough space for pillions. So discount that, forget about it. 
Kawasaki Z900RS, that could potentially work. That's a significantly bigger bike than the Z900 or the Z650RS. However, it's still on the more sporty side of things. And if you want to be going away for longer rides, yes, this would work. I just want to check it for the pillion comfort and the more long distance comfort. You know, if you want to be on the Autobahn for, for three hours, you know, then you've got all the lakes, you know, Germany's got stunning scenery around it. If you want some proper road trips, you may find this slightly more on the aggressive side of the spectrum that you're looking for. I'm going to tell you now the two bikes that Monarch and I initially said, right, yep, this is what Maris needs. I initially said the Triumph T120. And the reason I say the T120 over my personal Bonneville is that you may even find my Triumph Bonneville a little bit small. I'm six foot one, so I'm about six centimeters, five centimeters shorter than you. I find it perfect, but some people do say for me, it, it actually looks a little bit small. So I would say mine may be a bit too small for you. Plus, if you're going on the Autobahn with two people, you may want a bit more power. That Triumph T120, it's a physically bigger bike. It's got, of course, a significantly bigger, more powerful, more gutsy engine as well. So it will have no issue at all with about 80 horsepower on the Autobahns. And here's why this would probably be my pick, the T120. You've got bigger size. If you get what's called the Royal Seat, that's got more padding, it lifts up the, the, the height of the seat as well. So you can get a Royal Seat with it, plus you get a backrest, an actual Triumph official backrest. So you can spec this bike with lockable panniers, Harley Davidson level comfort, of a seat and a backrest and it's a 1200cc engine you know this is a really really good bike that would be very very comfortable for two people and this would probably be my pick monica's initial thought was a bike that you definitely will have no issue with 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 regards to size and that is the triumph scrambler 1200 XC or XC, either one of these, they're huge bikes and they are actually, you could class them as a naked adventure bike. So they are really a bit like an adventure bike. And either one of these would work well for you. Do bear these in mind. Definitely consider these Triumph Scramblers. However, there's one thing I would say why I, I may slightly discount it. Let me just see what the use prices are. Triumph Scrambler, and that's they've got a high-sided exhaust on the right-hand side, and that means that it's a struggle getting a pannier for the right-hand side, meaning that you may only be able to have one pannier on the left-hand side, and that's it, and that halves the amount of luggage you can take. So these bikes will be incredibly comfortable for you. But bear in mind that there will be no option that I know of. Someone let me know if they've figured out a way, but there may not be an option to have the pannier on the right-hand side. You can get one of those for about 9K, though, and they're very cool. You know, they're in the James Bond films. They're, they're off the scale cool, especially in that, that dark khaki green. It's really, really good-looking bikes. I've tested one of those for two weeks. They're, they're impressive bikes and definitely can cruise, you know, continent crush on one of those. If you're looking at a T120, let me just see what I can find here. T120, you're looking at 
you know, prices are perfectly reasonable now. And this is on AutoTrader. I know I could get it cheaper if I go on to Facebook Marketplace, but under 7,000, you know, 6,800 pounds for a Triumph T120. It's incredibly smart looking bikes, these really stunningly good looking bikes, and they will be very good long distance bikes. You cannot go wrong with that. I want to chuck in one slight curveball here. It's a bike that very often gets overlooked because I think in Europe they've now stopped selling them. It's a bike that will be as, if not more reliable than anything you could ever dream of. It's 1100cc. It is a bike that physically I think should be perfectly big enough for you. It's the Honda CB1100, 1100cc. Japanese bike, you know, beautiful quality. Really, I've seen these in the flesh but never ridden them. You can pick one up incredibly for, well, under, under five grand. But let's have a look at this one. I've got one here, 5,000 pounds, Honda CB1100. They are every bit as good looking as the Bonnevilles. The sublime finish, beautiful, you know, the chrome front headlamp, really big, proper sized pillion seat on these. This will be glorious levels, levels of comfort for the pillion. Going on the autobahn, I mean, it will just eat up the miles. You know, they come as standard with uh, a brushed aluminium front mudguard, beautiful thing. The chrome engine, all in black, this one with a, a lovely kind of um, stitched in leather seat that just looks glorious, spoked wheels as well. This, this at 5,000 pounds, you know, not far off. In fact, probably the same as a used, a used Interceptor. Admittedly, the Interceptor may be four years newer, but to get a bike of this quality, 2014 model that can do everything like this. You're not going to lose a penny on that either, depreciation-wise. Seriously consider the Honda CB1100. If it were me, I would probably have to discount the Scrambler because it won't look as good with a rear backrest and the pannier situation may be an issue. I would go for the Honda CB1100 and the Triumph T120. Plus the fact they're not scramblers, you feel more connected to the ground because of the suspension travel. Maris, happy shopping. Let me know what you go for. Right, I move on. Oh, this is good. This is from Nick. Uh, let's have a look at this. Nick sent me this in. Uh, okay, have a listen to this. Okay, Freddie, I've got, I've got a hot one for your podcast. Imagine if I told you, and I didn't believe this, I had to read this. So listen to this carefully. Okay, Freddie, I've got a hot one for your podcast. Imagine if I told you that you could, you could buy, uh, buy one of the top brand motorcycles out there today that had all of the bells and whistles on it. Now here's where things get interesting. You buy the bike for X amount and after the first 932 miles, the ECU cuts some of the bike features. For example, the quick shifter, the blipper, the rider modes, etc. Now to get those modes back, you then have to pay the manufacturer a subscription to keep them. It's starting to happen, I'm shocked. Zero electric motorcycles do it, and now KTM on their new 890 Adventure. Read it here. Well, initially I thought, 
I thought Nick was joking. I thought, don't be so ridiculous. This cannot be true. But I've got the article here from Revzilla, uh, the, the US spiking uh, outlet. Just have a quick listen to this. I'll try and keep it short and sweet. KTM's demo mode divides opinion, giving, uh, giving consumers options or ripping them off. So KTM has revised the 890 Adventure R for 2023 with reworked suspension, a 5-inch TFT screen and a new look. But none of that is what's causing a stir among some motorcyclists. Instead, it's something KTM calls demo mode. So in 2023, KTM 890 Adventure R comes with a wide array of electronic rider aids and options, uh, optional features when you buy it from the dealer. For the first 1,500 kilometers, all of these options are activated. At the end of the period, buyers can then decide which features they want to keep and pay for them. They lose the ones they don't pay for. This approach is definitely controversial among motorcyclists. When Andy last year wrote about the Zero offering the ability uh, to pay to unlock performance upgrades in some of its motorcycles, along with some other pay to unlock features offered by other brands. Nearly 300 reader comments flowed in, most of uh, more negative than pos positive. Okay, this has divided opinion hugely. It seems to be a lot of riders are furious saying this is an absolute scam, but then some saying, look, it's almost like a, a try before you ride. <sighs> my initial thought was, look, this, this can't be true. This is a ripoff. This is my initial thought. This is absolute insanity. You know, for me, the, the thing that sticks out is that everything, in essence, is, is there on the bike, the hardware, the physical parts... They're all there on the bike by the sound of it. So the only difference is the, you know, the electronic programming, the software there, which is already on the bike. It's just, it will be, I assume, and someone let me know if I'm wrong, electronically disengaged from your bike. Everything's still physically there on your bike, but the, the engineers at KTM will just turn, turn certain bits off your bike. No, I'm unsure about that. Um, and will it lead to some kind of, as Nick said, subscription service where you find you could be paying X amount a month to be able to, you know, I don't know, log in and, and change certain bits of your bike. Oh, I fancy having traction control today. I'll just log on to KTM.com. I'll get my app and I'll click on that. Get, get I don't know, off-road traction control or quick shifter, you know, reset up back on my bike or something. I'm, I'm unsure. If I had to jump off the fence, I would say I'm, I'm not a gigantic fan of the idea of that because in essence, in essence, everything's there on the bike. It's literally, genuinely just being switched off by KTM. You know, you could say on the other hand, if you're on KTM's side, at least they're giving you one and a half thousand kilometers to actually try some bits of gear out that you, you may never actually consider. Uh, and at least you actually got the opportunity to try it, in essence, for free before you buy it. And they do give you a lot of miles to try it. So I understand that point, uh, that point of view. I just hope this doesn't morph into something, 
you know, that turns into some kind of monthly subscription service for, for stuff we used to get included in the bike. Uh, hmm, it'll be interesting. I'm going to follow this with, with a keen interest. Nick, thanks for sending that over. I've got one more bit actually here from, from Nick because he's, he's just about to buy uh, his, his new bike. And it's, it's a Triumph T120. And there's only one available. Just one. Bear in mind, this is the UK I'm talking, from, uh, I'm talking about here. There's only one of the specific colour of Triumph T120 in the UK. Only one, and that's fairly close to the other side of the country. Um, it just surprises me, you know, this is the UK, you know, and even that's there, even we're struggling in the UK to get triumphs in. I mean, I know they're made in Thailand, but it's quite eye-opening. Um, when will this supply chain stuff catch up? It just seems to be going on for so long. You hope that brands, companies manufacturers can figure out a way where we can get rid of this ridiculous backlog of struggling to manufacture things for whatever reason it may be. Come, I just think in 2022, I hope we're not regressing so much where, you know, you're having to wait ages just to, to buy products that you want. Okay, um, this is one bit I found interesting because carrying on with the chat from Nick that I was having yesterday or two days ago, this is a word of warning for, for all you bikers out there, whether you're a biker looking for new or used bike. So have a listen to this. I, and I'm reading here from Nick. I was told yesterday that all bike price, uh, all bike prices new to all new bike prices will rise next year due to the economy. So it's a good time to buy. Also, the secondhand markets will rise too. So bear in mind, we've got two months left of 2022 now. 2023, the very start of 2023 could be the time, and I've been hearing this from a few people now, when used bike prices could go up significantly. So if you're in the market for a bike, it could be a very, very good opportunity right now to go out and buy that bike. Because if you do wait an extra month or two, you could genuinely find, let's have the bike you like, £10,000. You could find it's £10,300 or so for the exact same bike that, that you were considering. You don't get any more for it, but it's an extra £300. And that is a slightly painful pill to swallow. So bear that in mind. And I'm going to carry on from the final thing from Nick, because this, this just shows how much prices have gone up. Um, I bought my Yamaha MT, MT10 SP five years ago and I paid £12,250. The sale price now for a used Yamaha MT10 SP, five years old, is about £9,500, meaning it's gone down in value about £2,750. £2,750 in five years. That is microscopically low. And bear in mind that Nick bought it new. So I'm not talking about the, you know, depreciation from a second-hand bike to an older second-hand bike. This is depreciation of a brand new bike. And it's only gone down 3,750 pounds. 3, it's 
eye-opening and also quite scary. It's good if you've, you know, if you own a bike and, you know, you want to, to hold on to it. But, you know, if you're in the used bike market, it's looking very different to what it was five years ago or so. The, the new cost, the new cost, um, let me have a look at this uh, after five years. It's all down to the new ones costing £16,500. So the new Yamaha MT10 is a £16,500. That's gone up £4,250 in five years. It's a colossal increase. And this is why used prices are going up. You know, because if you look at this, if, if the MT10 is now 16 and a half grand, well, then it makes much more sense. Used ones are going to be nine and a half K because that's a huge difference. You know, that's a, that's a big saving. But if they're staying at around about the 12 and a half K mark, then, well, I'll just buy a new one. It's only a couple of grand more. And also, you know, you look at it, God, it's, it's getting expensive. 16 and a half grand for Yamaha MT10, as good a bike as it is. That, that is a huge amount of money now. You know, we are, pushing, we are pushing to some fairly chunky, sizable amounts of money here. Nick, thank you uh, for sending that. It's fascinating. Right, I move on. Oh, JB's got his classic here. I love these. Okay, uh, Freddie. Uh, JB from Scotland, here we go. Freddie, a maverick choice. My latest classic top tip is to seek out the best, and I agree with this, seek out the best of the 1980s big muscle bikes. Suzuki Katana, Kawasaki GPZ, 80s nostalgia is on the rise. Watch these prices. Yeah, yeah, I agree with this. Let me check this out. Kawasaki GPZ, because I remember when I passed my test, uh, God, what was it, 12 years ago or something. Um, I remember these bikes. Where shall I go? Shall I try eBay? And they were fairly undesirable, if I'm being completely honest. But times change and, and tastes change. <laughs> I remember these. I remember these. Yeah, and tastes change. What can we get that's of decent quality? But you know what? Now, this is very interesting because there are still bargains to be had here. If I'm looking here, lovely looking condition one. Oh, Ooh, there are a lot of them. And actually, they can come in at about £1,000 plus or so. I mean, I'm looking at one here. That's a 1996 model. You can get the 1990s models. I mean, for one of them here is £1,800 for 1996 model. Admittedly, it's not the 80s one. But this is on eBay. It's priced at £1,800 or make an offer. And guess what? The time left is 5 hours and 47 minutes. So my guess is that there have been no sensible offers because it's still there and it must have been on for quite a few days because it's coming to the end of the auction. So still, mid-90s ones were still, I don't think, at the level of desirability. However, however, if I have a look at... So you can get a 1986 model one, spares a repair, that's about £800. 
you know that the 80s ones are you know there's another 1988 spares or a pair 900 pounds but are there any nice ones 1989 project bike see this is the thing these bikes have gone through being unloved for so long um, a lot of them, you know, they've been left in a garage, completely worthless, and then people are suddenly saying, ooh, they could be desirable, maybe I'll push it out of the garage and try and sell this. Here's one, I found one. Kawasaki uh, GPZ 900, 1985, well, that's the year I was born, actually. Hmm. Quite like the idea of buying a bike from the year you were born. Classic UK bike, 27,000 miles. Lovely condition, this one. This is one of the first lovely condition ones I've seen. Classic 1980s styling. You can tell that a mile off. Uh, this is very, very different. Um, a lovely example of a superbike from the 1980s, Ooze's style, has been restored by the previous owner to a very good standard. It's ready to ride or show off. No modern trickery, trickery on this model other than anti-dive forks. The GPZ starts to put a smile on your face when ridden. It's, uh, it's in the original... Oh, the original colour was green, but I do think it looks a lot better in current colours. So this has been modified. I personally would like it to be all original and and marry up with the logbook. However, price of that, £5,000. So good model, five grand. although not in original colour, so that will knock some money off. So you can see there, actually, Project Bike's about £800, but a nice one that's been restored recently, five grand. Could these, could the mid-1980s, 1980s GPZs, start climbing? You know, could we see in three years these are actually 10k bikes? I don't see why not. That's a very good one to watch. Hmm, I'm going to keep an eye on that. JB, thank you. I'm moving on to... Uh, oh, to Lee. Okay, have a listen. Hi, Freddie. Riding in groups. I personally have a few experience. This is a really interesting one that I don't get asked much, actually. So riding in groups, I personally have had a few experiences where I've been overstretched, keeping up with much faster riders and felt out of my depth and excessively, uh, and excessively sped and, and did not enjoy the ride at all. I chatted with a friend who's in a Harley club and he explained how they have set rules for riding in groups to keep everyone safe. Is this something you've come across? I suppose it's just a case of picking and choosing who you ride with, but it can get awkward when I keep turning down rides, uh, ride outs with good friends, Lee. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny now because I've, you know, I've got a little group of friends and we go out sometimes. And yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes, especially in years gone by, not recently, but, you know, you get a long stretch or something like that, you know, you'll try and hit a hundred or something like that. However, I would say that now, we don't really ride like that as much anymore. So if I'm going out for a ride out, it will be, it will be much calmer. One of those things, maybe more of us have the, the modern classic style of bikes. Um, but this is very true. I personally find, Lee, if it's me and I, and I go out with some faster riders, I just end up usually going at my speed and hope that they'll stop down the road, you know, maybe in 10 miles or something like that on the motorway. And I just stick to the speed that I'm happy with. And they usually wait with no issue at all. But 
Yeah, I, I see a point with this because there's nothing worse. I have been in that situation a few times where I've kind of tried to push myself to the limit and I've been fairly close to doing something stupid, you know, trying to do an overtake where I shouldn't really have done an overtake and it being too close and then I'm almost angry at myself, you know, like, God, Fred, you, you just risked death there. You've risked your life um, to try and catch up. So, you, yeah, you, you must do the speed that you're happy with. The only thing I would say is just go out there and do your own speed. And I usually find people are more than happy to, to wait further down the road. Uh, but I haven't come across what they do with the Harley Davidsons, although actually I do think that going out with Harley Davidson riders, they're, they're almost always much, much calmer, much more chilled out. So yeah, you would never have that issue, especially when, when you're on these modern classic bikes as well. I find people a bit more chilled out, but if you go out some sports bike riders, whoo, you know, they're out there to often push the bikes a bit more than, well, it'd be way, way above my ability. But I do know, you know, if you go out with the likes of the Harley riders, I think some BMW GS riders do this type of stuff as well. Um, it makes a big difference if you go out in a coordinated group with, with people who are experienced going out in groups such as the Harley Riders because it will be significantly more chilled out. I also find it's a bit of an age thing. Just don't do it as much now. Just find, just go out a much more chilled out ride so you don't usually have someone doing a, you know, 110, 120 at the beginning. But I definitely know what you mean. Um, yeah, the only thing I would say to you, Lee, is if... If you've got a group of friends that you usually go out riding with, I would just go out with them and just ride at your own pace. And I'm, I'm fairly certain they'd be happy to wait every 10 minutes or every 10 minutes or so. I say that, I don't know actually. Uh, I know a few guys on sports bikes and I, I don't know if they would. Hmm. Let me know how you get on with that, Lee. I don't know if I've been much help there. Right, the last one to wrap it up with. Uh, I'm so sorry, I didn't save, I'm so sorry, I didn't save your name here. But hello, Freddy. Um, I remember one of your videos that you bought a Suzuki Bandit. What model was it and how was the bike? I'm currently looking for one of them as a first bike, probably a liquid-cooled injected 650S 2007 onwards. Do you have any interesting inputs about it? Yes, I do. This was one of the bikes that caused me the most amount of heartache, just I think because I didn't properly look after it. I would always have to carry a full, effectively a full tool roll worth of spanners and things like that because mine was a 2002 model and the fuel lines kept pinching underneath the tank regardless of what I did. And it was a carved model. And I'd always have problems starting it, so I'd have to push start it and I'd have to take the tank off on the side of the motorway. I've never had to take the tank off so many times on the side of a motorway as that bike. I remember heading off and Monica would be waving at me and then she'd be, she'd know, there's a 50-50 chance I'd be back pushing the bike, pushing the bike back about 30 minutes after I'd left because it had broken down. And I remember with that bike, ah, oh, I... I sold it and, oh God, I always feel guilty for this. The guy I sold it to was a lovely guy from Wales. He got, he got the train down, you know, money was tight for him. Got the train down from Wales, um, we'd agreed a price. He picked up the bike, took it off and then he called me two hours after he'd bought the bike and he was like, 
Freddie, the, the bike's just broken down. Uh, and he's like, I've I got to bring it back. Please, please give me the money back. Uh, so, of course, you know, I, I gave him the money back. Uh, but he'd already signed the, uh, the V5 logbook, so it basically ended up having an extra owner. But I gave him money back, and he ended up getting the train back to Wales. And it was just... Uh, I couldn't trust it. However, it would always somehow get me to places because it was such a simple bike to work on. You could always just about figure it out yourself, even someone with mechanical knowledge of me. Um, and when it was working, oh, it was a stunning, for me, a stunningly good bike to ride. Really powerful, great handling. And honestly, you may think I'm joking. I think it had about 80 horsepower. That bike, 600cc Suzuki Bandit, on real roads would keep up with anything. I would keep up with people on 1,000cc proper super naked bikes on that bike. And real road conditions, that is a seriously, seriously competitive bike. And I, I'm a big fan of the Bandits. My one may have been slightly unreliable, but their, their engines are tanks. They're, they're so strong and they're just really, really good, charming bikes, especially the air-cooled ones. Now, the water-cooled ones, will be, I think, significantly, significantly easier to live with, the injected ones. Let me just have a look, just to wrap it up, because the injected ones, I know they look slightly more modern, of course, because it's the updated version. Um, that injection will, will transform the ownership experience, because for me, carbs, it's just a bit too much hard work for a day-to-day -day living kind of bike. But... Let's have a look, what was it called? GSF, I think they were. I always forget these names. GS, GS, do, 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 do. Okay, let's have a look on Google, GSF. Or Suzuki Bandit 650 uh, UK sale. Let's have a look at what they're going for. On Auto Trader. How is it? Is it a viable proposition? Yes, yeah, so it's a liquid-cooled, injected 650. 650. You know what? Actually, they look quite similar to the original ones. The S has that little fairing on the front. And you can get them for... You know, you can get them for, for under 3K, and that will be a good, solid reliable bike. I'm looking at a 2008 model in silver. It's a good looking bike. You know, that's a characterful looking engine on that bike. I like that. And that's £2,799. Yeah, especially if you go for the injected one, you won't go wrong with that. Actually quite a smart looking bike with a proper size pillion seat as well. They've aged, for me in my eyes, aged beautifully well. Lovely looking bike and under 3k. Can't go wrong. And that's the one to go for. Injected, not carbs. Right. I will end it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming along. Oh, coming along. Keep mixing, mixing up my endings with my YouTube endings. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Please do give the video a like. I'm doing it again. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I will speak to you all in the next one. Oh, I don't know what's going on with me. Have a good one.